Hey, y'all. Welcome to Volume 4 of the Marty Smith's America podcast. We have a really special show this week. I'll spend time with NFL Hall of Fame defensive lineman Warren Sapp to get his unique take on the world. And trust me, Warren is one of a kind. The good Lord broke the mold when he made Warren. My man has tremendous stories and has lived a fascinating life. And trust me, you're going to get to hear some of them during this edition of the Marty Smith's America podcast. A lot stood out for me during my conversation with Warren. But the thing that really struck me the most is his complete lack of fear about addressing anything, including his experience with post-concussion issues and the potential for CTE-related issues later in life. He is on a CTE-related board. You'll get to hear him discuss that and why that's important to him. Warren's wide open. I mean, WFO. In fact, I once texted him, that he's WFO, and he had no idea what that meant. I had to explain it to him. If you don't know, well, I can't tell you on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, I'm certain you'll find his insight as fascinating as I did, and we'll get to Warren really shortly. But first, the Marty Party hit the road to Augusta National Golf Club last week for a feature shoot with former One Direction star Niall Horan, who's now a solo artist. This dude's famous, y'all. I mean, real famous. When I started to study him prior to our shoot, of course, I looked on social media. That dude has like 70 plus million social media followers. Dear Lord, son. So as Niall and I were hanging out, we ran into Jason Day, former number one in the world and on the PGA Tour, and hung out with him for a while, too. I think you guys will find this fun. So without further ado. What we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Party party. Have you played here? I've been very lucky to have played a few times, yeah. And um, what's it? I, it sounds really arrogant even saying that, but how would you describe what that's like? Um, first time I played it, it was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. Why? Just because of what it is, and uh, you spend the whole day just kind of walking around, staring at trees, <laughs> no. and like you know, picking. You know, when we come around the corner on eleven, you're like, I can't wait to see this view. You know, of like Amen Corner and. Just all those little things, like standing where Bubba hit that shot a few years ago out of the trees on 10 and, you know, trying to hit Tiger's shot um, from 2006. So there's there's just so many, like, little moments where you spend your whole time walking around and it, it doesn't feel like you're playing golf. It doesn't seem like a golf course, as you said. It's like You're walking Disneyland. through a museum <laughs> yeah. is what you're doing. Exactly, yeah. And then the next time, a little bit more relaxed and got to, to play a little bit better, yeah. So when you try Tiger's shot from 2006, how's that end up for you? <laughs> Nearly in the water, then. <laughs> nearly back at the tee box. <laughs> you know, it's uh, there's so many, so many great. That's the thing about this place. It's brought some of the, you know, between here and 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 the Open. There's some of the best moments in golf. What's ever, the moment time. at the Masters? <clears throat> the moment for you. Oh, t- Tiger's chip, you know, uh, on 16 is, you know, that's when I started really getting into golf. You know, and Tiger was at his peak when I was 10, 10 or 11. And, uh, <laughs> and he I'm was, not going to tell you how old I am, man. <laughs> I, don't, I was not 10 or 11 when he made that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Thank you. And uh, I, I just, that was when I was, you know, everyone would stay up on a Sunday night when I was a kid and how I got into golf and, and watch, watch him be him. And uh, no one could pull shots off like he, like he could. And, and that's what made him, that's what makes him the best. What was that moment that made you say, okay, I want to be a part of this? Because you could always tell, even just just by him, that he was born to be a winner. And no matter how far he was back or no matter how many times people told him he was terrible or he wasn't going to do it, he would make sure that he was doing it, like he's doing right now, where people say, Tiger's not going to come back and win. He can't do it. What is it about guys your age, you know, early 20s all the way into early 30s, mm-hmm. that just idolize him? What is it? I guess when, when you're making, like, you know, when, you, when you're brought up, you kind of follow what your parents do and like you know my dad big soccer fan so I've been going to soccer since I was you know very very young um, going back from and forward from Ireland to England every weekend to watch games and my dad never really played golf but he was obsessed with it like watching it and we would just you know when it came to like me making my own musical decisions or my own sporting decisions you know I would pick up on band like bands that I wanted to listen to and that I still listen to now or you know when I pick up on sports golf was the one that popped up for me and uh, and as I said at the time Tiger was at his peak and just watching him on a Sunday night and watching a human do some of the stuff that he did with a steel stick and a ball yeah. um, 
was just amazing. And yeah, a lot of people, even if you're not into golf, everyone knows who Tiger Woods is. He's the most famous man in the world. And uh, there's not many people that can do that. I wasn't around for Arnold Palmer, obviously. But even I know what he did for the game. Sure. And, and Tiger's, you know, really followed on what Arnie did. What forged your love and appreciation of golf? Tiger. I, I wanted to attempt to, to, to do what he could do. I wanted to start golf just because I seen him wear a red shirt on a Sunday or watch him coming down 18 here and putting a green jacket on. I think the same can be said for a lot of people, as you said, under the age of 30 or you know, in mid-30s to right down to even kids now are going around wearing red at tournaments now because they want to be like Tiger. And there's not many sports people or anything like that to have that pull on people. And uh, it's special. You were talking about watching tournaments with your dad. Yeah. When you say, when you call up dad and say, hey, dad, I'm going to Augusta National today, how's that go? How's he react? It's, it's, well, now that he knows that I'm not joking, but the first time I was a bit like, <laughs> no, you're not. You can't, no one can get in the gates of that place. You know, it's, uh, it's just, it's, yeah, he's blown away as much as I am, and it never gets, it never gets boring driving down Magnolia Lane ever. Describe and that. Surreal, you know, because every, TV coverage that you've ever seen opens up with the camera swooping down uh, Magnolia Lane and then you're there and it's just the most beautiful epic thing ever and uh, yeah there's just there's something just special about this place it's just unbelievable yeah I mean every single thing is impeccable it's immaculate it's perfect yeah you're always trying I can find myself you know they're like what's what's everyone you know friends of mine what's Augusta actually like and you know the first thing that people don't realise is the undulation like someone told me that it's like from the top of the clubhouse to the 10th green is like the height of the Eiffel Tower or something like that what? yeah so you know imagine, really? Yeah, and it's just quite a small two story building really isn't it and then for, apparently it's like down to the Eiffel Tower the undulation is a big one like how perfect the grass is it looks like everyone, someone's gone around with the scissors and it's cut perfect. every blade I know um, it's just they've, they've, you know the finest of details they've really honed in on and this place will it, it, you know this magic will never get away from it. What was it like the second time you played here? <laughs> a little bit better than the you first time. You could actually play yeah. golf. Yeah, because you, you just don't feel like you're playing a golf course. And uh, then after that, you, you know, you just think about it as a golf course and kind of plays, you know, you have to really course manage around here. You know, the, obviously the one thing that amateur golfers don't do is course manage very well and, you know, try shots that would be impossible. So I kind of learned to plod my way around and, I, you know, I play off a low enough handicap now to, to kind of have a nice day here <laughs> what is your handicap i play off nine wow and but i'm not playing regularly enough because i'm on tour um but i would i would like to you know in the next couple of years try and get down really low yeah how much do you get to play on tour uh played once last week and then hadn't played for about two months previous and you know it's kind of it's like anyone you know you, your job gets in the way hear me my job gets in the way you know i think you know Tough gig. Yeah, it's not it's horrible. Don't get to play golf. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's just, I would love to play it a bit more, but listen, you win some, you lose some. You noted Rory and your friendship with him. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Met through some um, mutual friend of ours that was, uh, you know, living in, in Northern Ireland and knew Rory well, and we, we got to know each other just on, you know, I think we went out for a dinner or a beer or something one time. Uh, yeah, just I think there's a, the Irish thing. No matter where you travel around the world, you always bump into Irish people and just get on with them. So we have that straight away. And uh, yeah, obviously we've got similar interests in football and music and, and golf. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a he's a great guy. And um, it's just it's it's great to be, you know, to be friends with someone that has you know that much like pulling power and intelligence and in, in a sport that you're heavily interested in. And, you know, I think that I, that's what I find when I bump into sportsmen. They kind of want to do what I do, and I want to do what they do. Invariably. Yeah, and that's and that's what that's how we usually kick off our conversations when you meet people like that. Yeah. You founded a an, a, a player representation agency. Yeah. Correct for up and coming golfers. Yeah, exactly. Why was that important to you to do that? I just uh, really want to grow the game in any way I can, and I felt like this was a good opportunity to take guys who are my age, similar age to me. A lot of guys I'm. I manage are of a similar age to me and just turning pro, getting their European tour cards, things like that. And um, I just, it's kind of like a, if they go on to do big things, I can say I was there from the start type yeah. thing, you know, like standing on the green here potentially one day with one of them who maybe pick the green, win a green jacket. 
and I can say that I was part of that from the start and and uh, it also means that I get to go to a lot of golf. <laughs> you, got a, you found that diamond in the rough yet? Yeah, yeah, well. You got a couple prospects for us? Yeah, yeah, we've, currently we've got six uh, looking to sign another couple. Not get too big, but uh, keep it relatively boutique and um, yep. really hone in on representing the players and, and making sure that they don't have to worry about anything other than hitting the ball in the hole better than everyone else. What's the biggest thing you've learned during your time having that agency? I just can't believe the, the mental ability of some of these guys that are of a similar age to me. I don't. I would never have the, you know, the the stable like like. I would never have like the mental game that these guys have, and to be 21 and be able to take a game of golf up the stretch when you're you know that young. And it's, I just find it, and I find that with sportsmen in general, sports people in general, um, and how. I just found the reason I wanted to set up the business in the first place was because I found that a lot of the players, you hear players complaining about their flights not being booked, not knowing where they are going to be playing on Thursday, on Tuesday, and things like that. And I was like, very regimented, right? They don't have, they shouldn't have to worry about anything but, you know, hitting up, hitting the ball as well as they can. And that's the way I was looking at it. So hopefully it goes well, and we seem to have some good players with European tour cards, and it's it's just very exciting at the moment. So. I understand that you planned your tour in a way so that you could make sure you were available this week for Augusta. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> why, why was that important to you? I, I love it here. This is my fourth year coming here. And uh, I love the tournament. And, I, you know, I don't get... I'm not one to go off on vacation all the time. I'm like, you know, if I have a week off, I probably will just sit at home and watch TV. But this is I class this as like one of my vacations, and um, and obviously now that I'm heavily involved with um, the drive chip and putt, um, it's obviously this weekend, and I want to be here for that, and that's part of growing the game for me. I was going to ask that you you noted how important it is for you to grow the game. Yeah. Why why is that an important initiative for you? Because I think generally it's golf is seen as like the old man sport, and you know the the sport that only old guys play and and stuff like that I think it's turning a corner now I mean the top 10 is just riddled with guys in their mid-20s same age as me um, in the world and um, and I feel like more girls could could play the game um, and I now by, from me you know for what I talk about golf publicly I hear people come up to me and say I took up golf because of you or you know I see you play golf it's you know it's a cool game and in my head that's how does it make you, you feel know, I just I, in my head, I literally just got tick. There's one more, and it, it makes me feel great. So now we're heading to the putting green. Look at this guy. Hey, buddy. Hi, bud. What's going on? How are you? Good. You? Good. Good yeah. to see you, pal. Yeah. You all right? Going, yeah, I'm good, mate. Yes. Marty Smith. How are you? Pleasure, Jason. Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure, brother. We were just yeah. discussing how he decided to completely finagle his tour yeah. to leave this <laughs> week empty <laughs> on the tour. Which well, is true. You, for you legitimate realize this reasons. guy is addicted to golf. He <laughs> well, loves his golf. So t- he actually looks like a professional right he now. He does. Look like at this pro- guy. He looks more a pro than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so true. obviously you know about his addiction with golf. Yes, How, I do. W- when you see that, somebody like so him. So he, he took me to a show one time. I'm, I'm, uh, this was back when uh, the One, uh, One Direction crew were, were still uh, touring. And I uh, go backstage and we're in this little area and I'm sitting there talking to him and he's got he's got putters and he's got a little cup at the end set up and he's just sitting there putting. I walk through the curtain and he's sitting there putting. <laughs> so give me some perspective here. Why is this week different than all the others? You could just, yeah, I mean, look at the feel of the place. You know what I mean? If you walk, you, as soon as you drive down Magnolia Lane, everything's different. I mean, they, I mean, this whole merchandise area is brand new. Um, they pop that up in five, six months. I mean, it's just they do everything just to another level that you just don't realise. And me, obviously, being here a fair, a fair few times that you understand and you've played the golf course as well. Um, there's history behind this golf course um, with, I think, everyone, especially as a golfer from Australia. We never had a an Australian winner up until Adam Scott. Right. So it was really big for us to try and get over that line and, and win the tournament. Mm. What do you remember about the first time you drove down Magnolia Lane? <sighs> Um, well, it was, it was more of a surreal feel because you don't really, you re, you don't realize it because, I mean, when I was growing up, I, it was more so I surrounded myself by trying to visualize the golf course. And then when you actually start driving down Magnolia Lane, you're like, oh my God, I'm actually here. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it didn't, it didn't feel 
you know, like it was real. So it was it was an amazing feeling, and it still it still gives you a little bit of chill, you know, driving down there um, every single year that you come back. I actually love this place, and everyone's so nice here. The patrons are fantastic, and the actual golf course when we have great weather, the, the golf is phenomenal. It's cool. When yeah. you went to see that show, yes, what similarities, if any, did you see between your lives? Like parallels between well, what I he mean, does and he he he's in and out. I mean, he's, yeah. this is a, he's in a total different league to me to what I do actually because he. I mean, he does a lot of traveling and he has a f- few more fans than I do. <laughs> but, but saying that, that's you know, seventy million on social yeah. media will get you places. Now. Exactly, exactly. So it's um, you know just to understand what the the stress and the pressure that goes along with actually performing each each you know night that he's out there, um, and it comes naturally to him. Like sometimes performing sure. golf comes naturally to me um, but you know we, that's why we do it we love it I mean, I'm sure he loves singing every single day that he does it um, and that's the same with me and I'm always trying to constantly improve and that's probably what you hear in his music he's always trying to improve the way and the style that he writes his music and, and sounds thanks very much thanks, mate, no good to see you good luck yeah, you too. appreciate hey, you brother thanks, mate. No Thank you. so when you're hanging out with those guys like we randomly happen upon Jason Day mm. how often do you request golf tutorials <laughs> like when you're hanging out I, with rory are you, do you guys talk ball all the time i'll send like rory and and justin rose i would send like videos to really and I, a couple of years ago after the masters 2015 we went to i uh, went on vacation with, with justin and he literally just ripped my game apart did he really start it again how did it make you feel winning the arnold palmer award oh yeah for your contribution to the game yeah. I mean, that's quite a statement. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was, uh, it was amazing, and to, to to be given it here, you know, on, on what was a special week it was the first year where that Arnie wasn't around, and um, when I found out, I was just delighted. It was, you know, for contribution to charity and to the game, it was just special. Arnie was a, uh, from what I know, and I've I've, I've been very lucky to to have met him, and I, I know how much of a generous man he was so to be able to uh, to be mentioned in the same sentence as that guy is just is enough for me but I have that award perfectly placed on my mantelpiece and uh, I'll treasure that one because he's uh, he's the king what was it like to meet him? he was great yeah he um, I met him and shook his hand and we took a photo and then a couple of weeks later as he always does uh, I wasn't expecting it, but I, I knew that he always does that where he sends letters. Yep. So he sent me a letter, you know, addressed Bay Hill, and and uh, he was he was uh, he said to me like he goes usually um, usually people your age don't know who I am apart from the <laughs> apart from the drink, <laughs> um, and I, I just thought that was very funny and uh, kind of self-deprecating is always the kind of the best sort of humour to go to Absolutely. go with and. Uh, I was just blown away to even to you know to see it. Arnold Palmer signed off, handwritten letter from Arnold Palmer is special, so I treasured out too. I read there while studying for us spending time together that you were named one of the most influential and important people in golf. <laughs> when you hear that, what do you say? Uh, Obviously, you laugh, so you find it to be humorous. Yeah, it is. It is quite funny, though, isn't it? Like, I'm, you know, I'm a Nine ten handicapper. Uh, um, I, I just, I just, I just love the game. And as I said, if I can make a few people play the game, that's my job done anyway. Um, I'll always play the game. I love the game, and I wish more people would play it. So the more I can do for a game and growing the game, and you know, having the, the agency that we have, having stuff like that, things, bits and pieces I can do. I guess that would make me in some some shape or form influential, but. It is very funny when you think of like Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, you know, and then to be even in a list with those guys is just... You have more Twitter followers than they do now. Yeah, well, they can hold a pup better than me. So <laughs> hey. What a pleasure, bro. Top man. Awesome really hanging out. That was yeah. great. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to um, work on my Not a bad place game. for the first hangout, is it? Not, not, it's <laughs> a great time for a first hangout. <laughs> Man, it was such a pleasure to hang out with Niall and Jason. Both of those guys are such kind people. And I appreciated their time. They were already buddies. They were already, at minimum, acquaintances. 
And so to interact with them and for Jason to give us time at all, we, Niall and I were on one putting green up on top of the hill and Jason had walked out to an adjacent one and was standing there. And so Niall and I walked over there and he gave us all that time. And I started firing off questions about the masters at him and he was gracious enough to answer them. And so it was just really fulfilling. Uh, it was really cool. Fun to see their friendship, their relationship. The most memorable part for me, though, will be hitting balls at the Augusta National Golf Club driving range with Niall. I didn't want to do it at first. I was nervous. I was worried. I was embarrassed because I'm just not good at golf. And there's professional caddies setting up bags at the driving range watching us. And it made me nervous. I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to continue to ask Niall questions. And he turns around and looks at me. He's like, dude, you better tee up. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so I gripped it and ripped it. Not well. Uh, I did it for daddy, man. I my When I was a little boy, all the way through high school, I watched the Masters with my father. And so it was fun to be able to do that and think about him in that moment. Ultimately, it was a wonderful day at Augusta National. The Marty Party goes golfing. Before we get to Warren Sapp, I want to introduce you guys to a partner that's on board with us this week, Keeps.com. Now, you guys will laugh when you find out about Keeps.com, basically because I'm the one that's promoting it. Why? Keeps is the easiest way to keep your hair. I don't have that problem. I got plenty of hair. I got enough hair to go around. Keeps offers the only two FDA-approved hair loss products clinically proven to keep your hair. Keep the hair you have. And signing up takes less than five minutes. Keeps is entirely online and only costs 10 to $35 a month. So, boys, I know a lot of y'all aren't mathematicians. I'm certainly not. But 10 to $35 a month is a dollar a day or less. That's a whole lot less than you would pay at the pharmacy. That's half of what you'd pay at the pharmacy, in fact. Getting started with Keeps is really easy. You just answer a few questions and snap some photos. A licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and gives you the right prescription all without ever leaving your couch. Now listen to me. A lot of y'all need to get off the couch. But you don't have to. You don't have to with Keeps. Within two to three days, a three-month supply of your treatment will arrive perfectly packaged at your door. So listen, here's how you do it. Stop hair loss today with Keeps. Offering customized treatment plans with only FDA-approved hair loss products for that $1 a day. From the comfort of your couch and to receive your first month of treatment free, go to Keeps.com slash Marty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Marty. A free month of treatment at Keeps.com slash Marty. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. Get on it, boys. Now. It's time for our hangout with Warren Sapp. If you have a seatbelt, buckle that thing tight. If you got a helmet, strap her up tight. Marty Smith's America with my man Warren Sapp. All pro, Hall of Famer, my man Warren Sapp is in the house on the Marty Smith's America podcast. How we doing, my man? Hey, I'm doing excellent, Marty. What's good? Oh, everything's good. I'm as blessed as they come. And let me tell you guys, so I met Warren last fall. I'm going to put you guys in the moment. It is... Miami Notre Dame on a Saturday night. It's hot. We're all sweating. And I'm taking a selfie with a fan on the sideline, on the Miami sideline. And all of a sudden, I just get tackled. And I turn, and it's my man Warren Sapp. And I thought, holy cow. He's like, I want one of those. And so he grabbed my phone and took a selfie of us with my phone, which is on my Instagram right now. I can, dude, it's even weird for me to even know, for, for you to even know who I am. That's crazy. You're crazy, Marty. How could you say that? I'm a country boy just like you. I love racing and going left and out in the woods and fishing. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> First of all, let's just start with what you're up to. What are you doing these days? What, what do you do most days right now? Uh, fishing or watching the babies get themselves together because my little girl is a sophomore at the University of Missouri, and I keep tabs on her because she's fighting for a starting job. And my son just had 13 sacks and was an all-state defensive tackle for Foundation Academy up in Windermere. So 
I got the babies on my hand right now and a little fish on my line if I can get it. <laughs> 13 sacks, huh? Is he going to follow dad yeah. to the U? Listen, I, I no, no, that's not my wish. That's not my wish, and I don't think he wants to do it either. You know, he won't even wear the number ninety nine. He won't even put the number on. So, no, <laughs> no she loves the number. She wears it to death. She, yeah, that, that's her. I mean, she, that's my, that's my twin. She, Why? she's a daddy's girl all day long. Why will he not wear ninety nine? He doesn't want to. Because he wants to blaze his own trail. Yep. This, this ain't got nothing to do with you. This is me. Hey, I want you to do that big sheep, Marty. So I told you about her. Hey, man, you go handle your business, no problem. 3.8 grade on average. I mean, he's a good kid. I mean, just a good kid, and he loves the game, and he found the love on his own. I, I never wanted him to play. What's it like as someone who played at such a high level to just keep your mouth shut watching your own children? You know it ain't easy. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> about how easy this is. This ain't something that you talk about that's easy. This is the hardest thing you do on a day-in, day-out basis is to know what your child is doing and can't say a word. I got one for you, buddy. I go see my little girl play soccer, and I yell something from the stands. She sticks her hand out at me and just waves it like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) (laughs) uh-uh. Shut up, Dad. You're embarrassing me. that's nine years old, so I've been quiet for the last 11. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. I don't want to hear nothing out of your dad until after the game. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Warren, how many people really know you? Uh, about 15. And, and, and who is the person that they know versus the person we all see? You know what? I was looking at something the other day, and they said, personality is who I am. Attitude is who you are. What you bring to me is normally what I give you back. So if you come over with, I hate to bother you, I hit you with, if you hate asparagus, do you walk in a restaurant or order a plate of it and stick it underneath your nose? I will infer then that people approach you with a certain image of who you are already predetermined. Fair. Or, or with, there's my chance to say something wild to them. It's unbelievable. What's the, what's the craziest thing people say to you? Right? It goes on and on, and it doesn't stop. It depends on what day of the week it is and who it is. You were discussing personality a moment ago. How would uh, you describe yours? Uh, pretty even level, because you have to find yourself between being a Hall of Famer and growing up on a dirt road with no cable television, no air conditioning, and the piece of man don't even deliver. So you have to wake up every day and find yourself somewhere in between those two things. And keep your feet on the ground and stay as humble as possible. How difficult is that? And, and what's that moment like when you go from that young man who grew up on that dirt road, finds tremendous acclaim and success as an as an intercollegiate athlete, and then all of a sudden you sign your name and you got all kinds of money? My mama house and see if you can retire her. That's the first thing I did. You go back to your roots. And that's always been my roots is my mother. My mother took care of six of us on the baby six kids. And when you raise four boys and two girls, it's time for you to kick your feet up. And that was my whole purpose in life was to retire my mother. Put me in, in that home as little Warren. What, what did you see from your mom? <laughs> Getting beat up and tossed around, never won much. Oh, my God. I remember when uh, Shannon Sharp was uh, giving his, his Hall of Fame speech. And he was, you know, talking about beating just Sterling. His older brother, and you know Sterling, if you know Sterling, Sterling is a, oh, a monster. You, you, to beat Sterling, you got to beat him. you got to rip his heart out, cut his head off and beat him. And there's no chance that he was going to let Shannon do that. And I had three older brothers. And I just remember all those days in the backyard of trying to just touch my brother. Just just put a hand on him. My brother was nine years older than me, and my other one was 12 years older than me, and the one that was closest to me was seven years older than me. So when I got to play with someone my own age, it was like taking candy from a baby, Marty. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> my backyard was the hardest fight I ever had in my life. I never won. Never. Never what's won. Your, never got to win. What's your relationship Both like with those brothers now? My dogs, we, we talk about basketball, football, swimming, the babies, everything that they can get my hand on. So they want to know. Is that your alarm going off that says, get up and talk to Marty? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was an alarm going off. I don't know what it was going off for, but it was, I guess it was the, the second alarm for Marty because I'm already on the phone with Marty. <laughs> I read a story. I read a story that claims 
you said you can't party like you used to. I don't believe it, Warren. No chance. Not even a little bit. No, you can't. You can't go. You can't go like you used to go. No, not even a little bit, Marty. I've been on this. I've been on this train for twenty years. I jumped off. I cannot hang out past eleven p.m. unless I'm taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon. I want some details on the craziest, craziest party that you actually remember. Oh my goodness! You gotta be kidding me! <laughs> in the last twenty years with me, Marty, are you kidding me? It's been some great ones. That's all I can tell you, my man. Yeah, you can't, you cannot divulge details. Hey, listen, the, the revolution shall not be televised because <laughs> we live. The, you see, me and you are old enough to remember when TV went off. You know, when the, the Indian head used to come on the TV. I do. That's hilarious, man. I do remember we're, that. We're all, yeah, we're old enough to remember this. So there was a time when you could go on a party and nobody had a camera. No no camera, no live Facebook, no Instagram, no nothing. It was just, you had to be there. Oh, are you kidding me? How old were you when you got cable? 18 when I went to the University of Miami, I found Sports Center, and you know it took me about two weeks to realize that from six to twelve it was a replay, it was a repeat going on with the same thing. <laughs> oh my God! It took me about nine days to realize that they were just running the replay, but now you're on a replay of live one. So I got it. Okay, now we do it live. All right. I was I in uh, I was in about tenth grade, and back then there was so my old man, my old man was one of those dudes who sat in his recliner, got home from work, sat down in his recliner. Lit one yep. Marlboro light off the next and said, boy, get up and change it to Channel 7. And so when I was in about 10th grade, we got cable. And it was one of those brown boxes that had, like, the horizontal slider channel changer on it. And I'll never forget, he would be like, boy, get up and put that on Channel 7. He always watched CBS News. Put it on Channel 7. And I can remember, like, I hated it, man. Like, Daddy, get up. You do it. But there, was no, there was no telling Daddy you do it. I just got to shut up and did it. That was your exercise, Marty. I know. He was, He he didn't mess around one bit. Oh, no, 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 no. My mother either. And to this day, not even a little bit either. Oh, no. Oh, no. Whenever I say something, I take two steps away from her. That same story that I, I referenced a minute ago about you not being able to roll deep anymore referenced weed a bunch of times. How often do you smoke weed? How often do I smoke marijuana? Uh... I don't know. I never put it on a clock. Never put it on a time schedule. Never thought about anything like that. But I do partake in marijuana. No, that's to, fine. To, huh? to, 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 no, no, I mean, I, I have no problem with it. Why do you smoke it? I enjoy it more. So it's more about the enjoyment than it is any physical pain. Oh, that no, it allows, me, it allows me to lay down, too. I mean, but I don't, I don't use my, I don't mix my marijuana and my medicine. They're two separate things. My B2 is all-natural hemp product that does the inflammation and my swelling. It's mind, body, and soul. I use an oil spray. I use a topical and sometimes a gummy when I'm on the road when I go to different places. No THC, nowhere in it, Marty. I don't mix my marijuana and my medicine. Those two things are separate. Marijuana sits on the table. The uh, medicine's in the cabinet. How much physical pain do you deal with on a daily basis from playing? My left hip is killing me. I need, uh, I need a left hip. I got to go get me one. So I, I, wait, I was waiting on the University of Miami trainer to come out of his surgery because you, you saw him run to the field and get the kids. <laughs> so he went to go do it this offseason. So I'm going to go check on him when I get back from taking my son and his boys fishing this weekend. And I'm going to go check him next week, and I'm going to see what the hip doctor says, and I'm going to go get myself put back together and go play me some golf and fish. I remember when I met you, you were on one of those hover-round scooters. Was that because of that hip? Especially when you're talking about going to a football game and my, my, my doodle uh, watch guy wants me to run over there to his side and then my guys want me to come up to their suite and then somebody want me to run on the other side of the play. I can't walk like that anymore. <laughs> so I got me an 88-compliant uh, uh, Euro scooter and it goes about 30 miles to every charge and it takes big boy around nice and comfortable. You talk about people asking you to do this and that. How, how often do you get asked for, for your time? Not really. I mean, it's just it's a nice it's nice to be remembered and nice to be asked and nice to be invited to different places. 
I just don't have the amount of time that I used to. And I don't get around like I used to in the kids' way. The kids demand more time than anything. All right, now, been this, that, whatever. I want you to hear that, whatever. My great niece comes up, shows me she's graduating in May. So I got another date in May. I just knocked off the calendar. So everybody's pulling. And, you know, when, you, when you're 45 and you got a bunch of nieces and great nieces and, you know, six kids running around, hey, man, you got you got, you got, you got to designate your time. You are donating your brain to research when you die. Why? Marty, I've always said I wanted to leave the game better than when I got in it. And right now, what we're learning about concussions and head trauma and CTE and all the different things that, you know, the accumulative effect of, you know, an eight-year-old. You know, we don't talk about eight-year-old championships at the Hall of Fame when I sit with Jim Brown every summer. We don't talk about no Pop Warner. None of this. Why can't we stop this? I mean, every Saturday we, we, we're putting our children out here on the, on the football field with a weekend warrior who don't care about anything but taking the trophy back to the office talking about, look what I did. What? We don't hit these kids upside the head 300 times a year? Come on, let's stop this. That's not right. I'm one of the ones who didn't play when he was 8, 9, 10 years old. So now my brain goes in as a guy who played from when he was in high school. You see what I'm saying? We need the whole range. The whole range. All of us need to do it. I mean, I talked to Brooks about it, and Brooks like, I'm an organ donor. I'm like, Brooks, you can't give your brain, baby. <laughs> your, your lungs, your heart. I got, I got all that kidneys. I, I, pass it on. I, nothing wrong with that. But your brain? Come on. Let's put so it in because you played since you was eight years old, Brooks. So you're you imploring that Barry helmet. Brooks, another Hall of Famer. Therefore, that's what I'm telling you. You can be a first ballot Hall of Famer and not play football until you're in high school, and you can be a first ballot Hall of Famer that played since you was in Pee Wee. Both work. But let's see at the end of it what the brains look like and then let the science tell you because now you have to raise your child because I didn't allow my son to play football until he was 14. What concussion-related after-effects have you experienced? You know what, just little things of not remembering where I'm going, when I'm going to a place that I've been going for the last 20 years, my homeboy's office and my keys and, you know, little reminders like calling you and, you know, doing what, you know, just like little stuff like that, just a little reminder. That's why I actually give me a reminder too. You know, it's just what it is. I mean, we're not what we used to be in the game I played, you know, hey, I I, I was in between two big men trying to stop me from going where I was going, and I wasn't letting them stop me. So I bounced like a ping pong and balled in between them and then came out the other side. When you start to forget where you're going, how do you react to that? What fear is there? I tell you what, it's a helpless feeling and almost like a a child where you pull over. I pulled over. Pulled over, stop. Call my home. I said, hey, man. I said, where's Double R's office? And the bad part about it is, you know, big, bigger alpha males are badass all these years. Your homeboys, you know, barely, rarely see you in a, in a I need help situation. So when you're calling, you know, I need help, you get a lot of laughing back at you. <laughs> this is a bad day for me. You know, I'm trying to, I'm like, man, what double R office that? He busts out laughing at me. I mean, just bust out laughing at me. <laughs> what are you talking about, dog? Double R office the same place it's been for the last hundred years. What's wrong with you? And, you know, I don't want to sit there and tell him, dog, I'm having one of these episodes where I don't remember something and I need your help. I'm like, hey, man, just tell me what double law office is. He was like, that same place. And, I mean, he kept saying it over. <laughs> so I hung up on him, turned around and drove home. How, how hard is that vulnerability, back? though, Warren? Like, that's a very vulnerable Listen, moment. listen. That, 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 that's a very scary moment. So that's why you go back to what you know. And I went back home, sat on my couch, and, and started thinking, okay, before I get myself going, I'm going to start using notes and all the different stuff. Now I understand what my mom table and stuff looked like. It looked with all the notes of do this, do that, and I got to do this, and a list, and all the different stuff, because I never had to, I never needed that. I never needed that. I never needed a list of things that I wanted to get done in a week and then check them off. I do that on the fly. That's the thing. You know, when you can go 150 miles an hour and get three things done, and now you can't even go 100 miles an hour and get two things done? Yeah, I mean, that's why you slow it all the way down, Marty, and go 55. And that's why I finally understood what my grandfather and my uncles all those years were telling me about the young bull and the old bull walk. You're 45 years old, right? Yes. 45 years old. What What do you think 65 is going to look like? I look damn good because I'm a walk. <laughs> My man, I like that. <laughs>
That's what I'm telling you, right? I have no interest in anybody's club, anybody's hood, anybody's concert, none of that. Been that, done that, twice over. Let's talk mistakes. We've all made them. What do you regret? Oh, yeah. oh, a lot of things, huh? I mean, if you're, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything back because you know it is what it is. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I've never, I've never physically. Well, one time when I was 18 years old, I punched this kid and ripped his face off when I was stupid and young, and that's the last physical altercation I've ever been in. That's the only one I've ever been in when I was this size because I was 245 pounds when I left high school and then showed up to college at 270 pounds. Don't know where it came from or how it got there. And then two months later, I was 300 pounds, and I punched this kid in the intramural game. And that, oof, I almost was expelled from school and thrown out. That's why I told myself, you can never put your hands on nobody else in your life. And I've kept that promise. So other than that, I'm good. You know, you can go on the Internet and read all kind of different different accounts and reports about war. I just want to know, Marty, you think I got in a fight with somebody and they wasn't up? That's all I want to ask you. No, no. Because I if you got me to that point where I'm going to put my hands on you, <laughs> trust me, you've done something to get it and you're going to get it. So what? Okay. So in what ways do your mistakes follow you? We kind of touched on this earlier that people have a preconceived. You know I, I think my 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 brashness of you know if you didn't come up with the right approach or whatever, kind of you know adheres me to this monster image. You know, no monster at all. I'm just a teddy bear and one big grizzly bear without his claws anymore because I can't scratch anything. <laughs> hey, the, the the legend is way greater than the man itself. How did those experiences shape who you are now? Uh, cut a lot of the, the riffraff and the bullshit out. You know, I can hold a room for 40 minutes and nobody be bored. At a bar, in, in, in a club, and whatever situation, at a, at a bar, pool, anywhere. It just—it was just something that I had. I, uh, I was—I was a people person whenever I, I was out. It. But when I was out in my in my public space and my private time, I didn't see the sign that say "Meet Warren Saturday." And if you didn't come over with a very cautious and courteous manner, I'd tell you to get some home training. I, I would. I had nothing wrong with that. If you came over and, hey, how's it going? Really? I didn't know it was. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was over here in the middle of something. How can we help you here? <laughs> and the information booth over the top of my head. What the hell's going on? I'm a country bumpkin. You don't walk up on a country boy and just interrupt this conversation and go to talking crazy to him. You don't. How does that happen to you all the time? Uh, now I allow it because it's funny me now. I just sit there and listen to it, and I'm like, okay, what 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 place was I at that I wasn't at? Go ahead, tell the story. <laughs> That's what I've come to now, Marty. Tell the story. Let me hear it. Maybe there's one I, I forgot. So <laughs> That's what I've come to now. I, I, I really do now. I just sit there and listen to it. All right, hey, shake your hand and take the slap on the back, and hopefully they'll walk off. I asked Ray Lewis to sum up the you culture and he said be your brother's keeper how would you define it a brotherhood of men Life because you had a responsibility and if your responsibility was not taken care of we were going to hold you definitely accountable for it because we racked it every day and said 12 and 0 we didn't believe in nothing but perfection because we knew we had the talent and the ability to go out there and get it done and then every time we saw each other on another level we were going to try to outperform each other <laughs> it was just going to be one of those days I mean that's why you have, well, 140-something straight weeks where Kane scored or something like that in the NFL. It's crazy. When did you realize the NFL's a business? Day one. When you're sitting in the, when you're sitting in the, in the draft room, they're telling you you flunked seven drug tests off of cocaine and you never touched cocaine in your life. And you haven't even taken seven drug tests the whole time you was in college. You took five, and three of them were NCAA tests. So you're sitting there wondering, what the hell are they counting at? Somebody, somebody's trading the number one pick away, and I'm the best player in college, and they got to justify this. That's what made me realize it was a business from that day. Got it. Okay. So y'all got to justify why the best player in, the, in college ain't being picked with the number one pick. Y'all actually trading the number one pick. Got it. I went to Miami, and all of a sudden this was the 11th hour re- report from the New York Times. So I'm like, really? 
I feel like I went to Nebraska, Idaho, or Wyoming. I went to Miami. I'm going to decorate Kennedy School history. Are you telling me nobody knew anything about seven drugs, one for cocaine? Are you kidding me? Until the night before the draft? Come on, man. All right. We'll take that one. And we'll step on. That's why I was heartened to a lot of this party, because I was lied on from day one. And nobody ever said, sorry, uh, well, the NFL did clean out the security department. And then made Mr. Jackson sign a, a confidentiality agreement so he never discussed what went on. Ain't that some <laughs> Who's had to sign a confidentiality agreement? The Jackson guy that was the head of NFL security before they brought the guy in. That was the ex-FDI guy after the 95 draft. Because uh, somebody made a boo-boo on me, and they needed to say, oh, well, we got a whole new department now. A boo-boo on you pertaining to the drug uh, the drug testing I, I, come accusations? On, man. They even put James Stewart out there and say he found the drug test at the combine. Then I thought I had to make a, make a comment. Because they said I flunked the drug test at the NFL combine for cocaine, and Stewart flunked it for marijuana. Both of us went to Miami. The NFL had to make a comment about a drug test for the first time in a 75-year history. Yeah, this is this is one of those investigative things you can go through and get a get, get a nice little story, but nobody wanted this because it was the mighty NFL. They fired the head of the NFL security after this. Trust me, I'm telling you, this What's wasn't something that, that that was cute or or risque. Because I I was sitting there. And I remember this like yesterday because Richard Bombie's dad got on the phone with me because it was, you know, he flunked a drug test at the combine for marijuana. It was 23 nanograms on 20. 23 nanograms, and the cutoff is 20. By the, this at 5 o'clock. This is the 5 o'clock news. I flunked the drug test at the combine. By the 11 o'clock news, and Mr. Bombie said this to me at 5.05, he said, Warren, by 11 o'clock, it'll be cocaine. I said, no way, Mr. Bobby, they can't do that to me. <laughs> Jimmy Cephalo came on <laughs> at 11 o'clock and said, why is that drunk test for cocaine? I almost fell over, almost died that day. almost died in my homeboy's living room. I looked over at Rick, Richard Bobby, and Mr. Bobby wasn't there. He was, you know, on the phone when he said it to me. I looked at his kid. I said, your dad told me this. I got on the phone with Rosa House. I said, the NFL going to make a comment. They going to clear my name with this cocaine. I don't give a damn with nothing. I mean, we, yeah, I smoked. I mean, I, I, I smoked. I, I smoked with my dog at, for the Heisman, and it got me over the, over the list. You know, it got me. All right, I'll take that. I'll take the charge on the weed, but ain't no way you putting cocaine on me. NFL came out. No cocaine for setup, no marijuana for store. Thank you. That's all I asked. But then the eleventh hour, the cocaine came back again. And there was nobody to save me on that one. I was sitting in New York on draft night. Woke up the next morning and I was the Aaron Rod, the first Aaron Rod to sit there. Trust me, Marty, I, I I take everything in life with a grain of salt because what they say about you ain't true all the time. And that's fact. You you track that down anywhere you walk to. <laughs> I mean, I, that is fact. It went down right on my watch, right in front of my eyes, and I had to go through that and then build a career in a place with 11 straight double-digit lost seasons when I got there. Yeah. I didn't go to New England and they had Tom Brady. I didn't go to somewhere else that they had Peyton Manning. I went with Trent Dilfer was the quarterback. <laughs> and he had just got there one year before I was, or two. I think 93, 94 draft, yeah. What's the greatest moment of your football career? January 26, 2003. Super Bowl championship? Yes, sir. Rolling in the Qualcomm Stadium with one purpose on our mind. Put a ring on our thing and bring the Lombardi trophy back to Tampa where they said it would never happen. What was the sense of, of fulfillment for you there? What What was that moment? Uh, the, the real moment was walking down Tampa Avenue. And looking up in the parking garages and the buildings and the people hanging out, I mean, you 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 have to win a championship for your city and experience that. Because, I mean, whoa, that's that's indelibly in my mind forever in my life was bringing that thing home. Because it wasn't just me that won, the whole city forever. Where do you rank among the greatest defensive linemen ever? Uh, whoa, Reggie White because. You can't you can't have more games than, than more sacks than games, and that's basically what he did his whole life. <laughs> Unbelievable, man! And then Bruce Smith on the other side, because oof, not like Big Bruce, stand-up guys, Lawrence Taylor, those three for me on the outside, and Derek Thomas. Because oof, and then DT coming out the edge with what he did, and inside, 
Angel Green, Bob Lilly, Merlin Olson. Randy so you're White. a student, too, obviously. You're a student Come on, of the game. Man, you're right. a historian. We have nothing else. That's why Kel Yarbrough was my man in the 28 Hardy's car. Love I mean, it, you got you to pick a guy here. My man That's Ward said just dropped the Kel Yarbrough. Let's go. Yeah, y'all run the 28 hardest car, baby. Let's get it. I couldn't be more impressed with you right now. I can remember when I was a little boy at the town pool in Parisburg, Virginia. I had one of those plastic, one of those plastic Kale Yarborough Hardy's cars that I used to launch into the pool time and again and again and again. Kale was a bad man. Now you talk about knocking people out. You didn't cross him. What? That's why he was my man. I don't play no game. And after Kale got out, I rode with the Intimidator at three. You remember where you were when Dale Earnhardt died? Yeah, at my house watching it. I watched the Daytona 500 every time. Because he had a shot, and he just come around four and got, got, got hit and went up in the thing. I was like, ah, there it is again. And then, then you're thinking, something ain't right. It just didn't, it, it wasn't just like a regular, I mean, it just felt wrong. But I see a hundred crashes at Daytona and Talladega and all them big tracks, big raceways. I, I, I've been to Grand Marshall at the Pepsi 400, so. That's me. I mean, Daytona's 50 miles from my house. Superman's not supposed to die. Never. Quite a day. What is your opinion of the business structure of the NFL? Nothing wrong with one of the greatest business structures you ever see. They took over Sunday, which was owned by Jesus. Didn't get any better than that, does it? How did that happen? I mean, how did... No, because football is a religion. We live this. I mean, we're talking about right now 32 teams. I got people calling me from the Titans telling me, oh, we don't got this guy and that guy. We might get it right. I'm like, have y'all had a training camp yet? Have y'all assembled y'all through the team yet and ran a play? I mean, how, I mean, come on, man. You know what this is. And then you throw in the college, and then it becomes a real frenzy because we bleed our colleges. I mean, ain't nothing like our colleges. On a Saturday afternoon, I mean, pick a side, put your colors on, and don't come out until tomorrow. You're a fascinating person. And I just uh, I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your time. Joining the Marty Smith's America podcast, you made us better, man. Thank you. Marty, you're the best, baby. How about that statement? Sundays used to belong to Jesus. Now they belong to football. Again, I've said this before. Very rarely am I rendered speechless. Warren got me a couple times in that interview. Tremendous interview. Uh, I really appreciated his insight. I appreciate his honesty. And speaking of insight and honesty, uh, we're going to transition now over to hillbillyisms. And if you guys listen to Marty and McGee, you're aware of Lauren Korn. Lauren is a reporter down in Orlando, Florida, who does the most unbelievable stories about rednecks I've ever heard. We wanted to hear Lauren tell us one of her favorite stories. Buckle up. Words, sayings, or just a way of life? The bowl cut plus the mullet, the bullet. <laughs> this is Hillbillyisms. Two guys are facing charges after Volusia County deputies say they tried to pull off Quite the bizarre burglary plot. They ended up taking several items from a DeLand home. And as News 6's Lauren Korn found out, the suspects tried to start a fire with spaghetti sauce in an attempt to cover their tracks. An ex-lover's revenge foiled thanks to this 10-second clip. Wait, did you see anybody? No, I can't see nobody. All I can see is the, uh, the towel being put over the camera. Deputies catching these two men red-handed, accused of burglarizing the victim's home and trying to burn it down. I got alert at 6.54. I called D-Land police and... They was here in no time. The man who declined to reveal his identity was at work Tuesday morning when it happened. Deputies say ex-boyfriend, 36-year-old Derek Irving, disguised in a bull costume onesie. And 28-year-old John Silva removed the AC unit to get inside. I'm assuming they thought they had all kinds of time. The duo deputies say stole the man's TV, AC unit, heater, and a vacuum before boiling a pot of spaghetti sauce and taking a white towel to the stove. They was trying to make it look like that uh, I'd left the stove on, but who gets up at... 2 o'clock in the morning and fixes Skitty. Deputy stopped the two in the driveway where they 
found the man's items in an empty jar of spaghetti sauce. Silva claiming he had no idea Irving was stealing from the home. It started out as a, uh, was a relationship that lasted about a week. The victim says they had a fallout, but the two remained friends and doesn't know why Irving is so angry. Let him use my car for four months. Maybe he's angry about that. Or maybe he's angry because I gave him $150 to fix his teeth. Maybe he's angry about that. The pair appeared in court today, Irving being held without bond for violating probation. Silva is being held on $25,500 bond. Thank God for this camera. In Delay, Lauren Corn, News 6. You shouldn't win an Emmy, just an Emmy. You should win like an, some sort of, like an Oscar and a Grammy. Every, the most esteemed awards there are in all of entertainment. You deserve them for that effort. How in the Sam Hill did you were you able to track that story without laughing? It I don't know how you did it. It was brilliant. Let me tell you, it's one of my favorites to write, and I wanted to make sure I got everything verbatim because we have to go through script approval. And I told my boss, you have to read word for word because usually, you know, he'll skim over the bites and stuff or, or interview, but make sure everything is legit. And he just emails me back, OMG, 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 approved. <laughs> approved. <laughs> so, so Lauren, Lauren, when you're when yes. you're putting that when you're putting that script together and you're typing out Sketty, how how did you spell Sketty? Uh, I did S K E T T I. That's what I, right. I would have yeah. done too. Yeah. That's what I would have done. Cause, cause <laughs> so, a lot of people were responding to the story last week and they were saying S G E T T I. I'm like, I think mm-hmm. y'all might have spelled this wrong. No. So, now let, let me tell you. Okay, you guys have to go to Lauren's Twitter page. Okay. It's at LJ Corn, K-O-R-N. The, the pinned tweet or the top tweet on Lauren's Twitter page is Deltona woman throws pizza at store owner for getting order wrong. Owner says it was over two toppings. Full story at 430. Um, the, uh, because Florida. Right. Florida. Uh, you, uh, your Twitter page is my new favorite. I have to follow you right now. Oh, thank you. Now I have to update it more. Thanks. <laughs> so, so you, you're originally from Texas. Um, yes. And, and how long have you been in Central Florida now? Uh, about four years. Okay. So, and 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 we we joke, but but it's also a fact that there are more what we call hillbilly headlines that come out of the state of Florida than anywhere else. Like it's ten to one. It's not even close. Are yes. is this? Are these stories? Is this? Yeah, what's the crazy? Are you surprised one you've at how often covered. this is happening? That you have to that you're covering this this type of news? You know what? Not anymore. Now it's just <laughs> I'm just thinking like, what am I doing with my life when I interview some of these people? Like, this is what's happening here. But when I first interviewed for the job, you know, the station's like, you know, we have great stories. It's never a dull moment. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but I've reported and anchored throughout texas i'm thinking ah, how much exciting could it be but uh let me tell you something and you can't make this up so um well i picked out a couple of other ones that i remember saying oh this is pretty good i have to say skitty's right up there number one um let's see there's i covered this guy uh he set his neighbor's corvette on fire saying quote the crackhead neighbor stole his lawnmower <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> Was was that was that uh, was that wonderful piece? Was that Jim uttered on your camera? No, sadly, okay, okay. it was not. Okay, uh, but it is. But you can go to quizorlando dot com because the whole article's on there, and okay. and it is. It's one of the headlines. So you can find it. Um, let's see. This guy, he was impatient, waiting in line at the Dollar General. He was standing in line with butter, Coke, and trail mix. So he gets. <laughs> Uh, irritated, and he decides to just walk out the store. The manager chases him, and then he turns around and says to him, uh, this ain't worth getting shot over, throws some of the items, but then runs off with butter. He really needed the butter. Needed the so, butter. Um, right. The Coke and trail mix, not so much. The butter, yes. Well, you can't eat, um, you can't eat anything without the butter, so just leave the other This is true. Right, right. I mean, it's a good item. Yeah. Let's see. Um, this one last week. This guy, uh, I guess they're two friends, maybe not anymore, but uh, the one guy says to the other that he owes him $5 or whatever, and the guy says, I'm not going to give you $5. I'll give you $3 and some quarters. 
Well, his friend was ticked off about that, so he decides to get into his car, back into the guy's fence, and then get out and hit him over the head with the bat. He's okay, but this is over $5. Lauren Corn is a national treasure because Florida. I have no idea how she maintains her composure. I have no idea how she is so stone cold in her descriptions of Because Florida. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to Jason Day. And thank you to Niall Horan. And thank you to Warren Sapp, all of whom took the time to join us. It is amazing. You guys should join us. You should join us on the hotline. 860-516-1315. That's the Marty Smith's America hotline. 860-516-1315. And tell us whatever random redneck hillbilly story you so desire. We'll have Lauren possibly read it on a future episode. I want to thank Keeps.com for being invested in us. It means a lot. And I want to thank my producer, Travis Rockhold. And above all, I want to thank you guys for your time. It's appreciated so much. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us so much when you do so. This is the Marty Smith's America podcast. We'll see you next time around.